Hey there, it's Dr. Nazanin Mo'oli, and I want to chat with you about a key ingredient for a fabulous date night, feeling sexy. And come on, let's be real. What you wear plays a big part in how you rock that confidence. That's why I'm thrilled to introduce you to Quince. Quince brings you premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts starting at just $30, along with washable silk tops, 40-carat gold jewelry, and more. And guess what? All of their goodies are priced 50 to 80% lower than similar brands. By teaming up directly with top factories, Quince skipped the middleman and hands us the saving. Plus, they stick to factories with safe, ethical practices and top-notch fabrics and finishes. How awesome is that? Picking from Quince's website was tough because they have a ton of fabulous choices. I ended up going for their 100% washable silk sleep dress in champagne. And let me tell you, my husband was floored. He's convinced whoever rocks this is in for a blast. I'm going to record some content on that dress so you can see how fabulous is that dress. Elevate your date night style with Quince. Pop over to quince.com slash sexology for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's quince.com slash sexology to get free shipping and 365-day returns. quince.com slash sexology. Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hey there, welcome back to episode 351 of Sexology Podcast. Today, as part of our ongoing exploration into the complexities and nuances of relationships, we're diving deep into the sensitive and emotional topic of partner betrayal trauma. We've all heard stories or perhaps experienced the heart-wrenching pain of betrayal. And today we aim to bring light, healing, and understanding to this topic. Today we're joined by Dr. Doc Wastes. With over 30 years of experience in the field, Dr. Weiss is leading psychologist specializing in treating sexuality and pornography addiction, intimacy, anorexia recovery, relationship trauma, and marriage problems. He's authored and filmed over 40 books and therapeutic teaching addressing issues ranging from intimacy, sex, partner betrayal trauma, to parenting. Dr. Weiss's remarkable work in the realm of relationships has been so impactful that some of his counseling stories have been transformed into lifetime movies based on his practice at the Heart to Heart Counseling Center in Colorado Springs. Our discussion today will center on understanding betrayal trauma and healing process. We're going to explore recognizing progress in healing from betrayal. We're going to talk about some coping mechanism post-betrayals. We're going to talk about how you can manage feeling of insecurities or fear of future betrayals. We're going to have a lengthy conversation about probably all the questions you have in this round. All right, stay tuned, enrich your understanding, and let's navigate the path of healing together. 
Hello and welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited to welcome Dr. Doc Weiss to our show. Dr. Doc, welcome to our show. Well, it's so good to be here, Dr. Naz, and thank you for all that you're doing helping people. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for that. So today we're going to talk about betrayal. I know that many, It's first of all, it's very common for, unfortunately, in day and age for people to go outside the relationship. I see it all the time in my couple's counseling office and learning about it can be very painful for both partners. So what are some of the common feelings or reactions that you notice that someone that experienced, the receiver of the news usually experience? Well, it often depends on how they're given the information. Okay. If, if they have a, a partner who is contrite and kind of broken up about it. And I need to tell you this. I'm really sorry. I can't believe I did this. It was a one night stand or whatever it was. The partner's going to react a little bit differently than if they got caught. If the other woman or other man called the house. If you see what I'm saying, it's a different thing. If you're getting caught, if you, if it's outside of the context of the relationship, the information comes outside the context. It can be riveting. You know, we do five day intensives in my office in Colorado. And in that, we have a lot of cases where infidelity is part of it. So, you know, the woman wants to know, right? Okay, if it's a woman. And so we, we do polygraphs. We have a polygrapher in our office. And 50% of the times, the guy will lie in my office to her in front of me. And then we do a polygraph and find out it wasn't one person. It was three people. It wasn't five years ago. It was three days ago. You see, so again, now when she finds that information in that context, she can experience riveting trauma. I mean, the, the type where... She'll convulse, she'll get in a ball, she'll cry, she'll scream, she'll yell, she'll just go into shock because of the way the information is being presented to her, which is, it's not just the lie, the betrayal that you did something, it's a betrayal of trust that you lied to me and that you keep lying to me and you lied to me even when you're going to take a polygraph lie to me. Do you see what I'm saying? So the context really makes a big difference. Plus, if she's had other betrayals, this is her first, second marriage, if there's been betrayals in the past, those are factors on how she'll react to trauma as well. If her dad cheated on her mom, you know, that's another variable. Like there's just variables involved in their own personality is part of that, how they'll do that. Some women will, you know, kind of shut down. Some will explode. Men are the same way. You brought up so many great points. So I agree with you. I think if you're feeling that your partner is being transparent about what happened, about indiscretion, at times it can be easier for people. Still wouldn't be easy, but easier for people to tolerate and start working toward kind of like repairing the relationship if that's that's a, a goal of the couple. But it's my experience that I think, like, as you said, when they are hiring a PI, I had many clients that they got private investigator and that's how they learn about the partner's betrayal. That can be even more challenging because the people are scared that would you stop if I didn't catch you, if I didn't catch you, where would you kind of continue with it or not? So I agree with you that even history of the previous kind of betrayal in the individual's life that also can impact how people emotionally show up. Based on your experience, I can talk definitely about my client, but tell us, why do you think people go outside the relationship? Well, the first thing I would say to that, it's not because of their spouse. Okay, your beauty, your age, your top size, your bottom size, how good you are at cooking or in bed or with the kids has nothing to do with someone cheating. I've never written almost like, like over 40 books. One's called Addicted to Adultery. I talk about six types of cheaters, you know, and people cheat for different reasons, but none of them have to do with the spouse. Because if you're a pain in your marriage, you go to counseling, you talk to a lawyer, you know, you deal with it. Okay, you talk to your spouse. So cheating is something that someone has oftentimes... I've seen over 5,000 clients. I've been doing this for 35 years. 
oftentimes the the cheater has a predisposition to that in their past, or they have a history of pornography where they've been soaking in sex with others thousands of times. And so when an opportunity comes, they're much easier to slide into that because their moral code isn't broken down. They've done it a thousand times in their brain with rewarding with the chemicals that sex gives you in the brain. And so they don't have any real resistance to that. So, but there's a lot of reasons people cheat. But the first thing I tell, especially the women, women tend to blame themselves. Men don't. Men don't tend to blame themselves. They go, yeah, that's stupid. That's you. That's all about you, right? Women, oh my gosh, am I, did I gain weight? Am I not giving you enough time? Did I not do, they do that. And it's totally not appropriate to do that because people cheat because they cheat, okay? They, they oftentimes groom the relationship. Sometimes it's a one night stand. Hey, I was at a conference and she showed up, he showed up, whatever, okay? But oftentimes there's this grooming process that goes on at any time where if they were to be honest about the texting, the emailing, the FaceTiming, the seductive conversations they're having, they could have stopped it prior to being unfaithful physically. I agree with you. I love when you talked about it not being about the partner, because sometimes people, as you said, that they feel like they were they feel responsible for what happened. Of course, and oh, like there's so many different dynamic can kind of like increase the chance of someone going outside the relationship or not. But I agree with you. It's oftentimes it's not about your how skilled you are in the bed or like if you gain weight or not. And I think if we buy into those stories, that can make the healing process more complicated. Well, if you believe a lie that, hey, it's my weight or that I didn't give you this, you can't heal from something that's not true. That's where you have to give the the offender 100% of the responsibility to be able to heal. Mm-hmm. And I've worked with thousands of these women and men. We have a book called Part of Betrayal Trauma. We researched, you're a researcher, I noticed that on your website. And that's, mm-hmm. you love that we did a research project of 144 women who've experienced either infidelity, sexual addiction, or intimacy anorexia. And intimacy anorexia is where the spouse avoids you spiritually, emotionally, sexually, and you feel very alone in the marriage. And the stats are very interesting because as we run across about 12 different scales, you would think these are three different populations, right? Dr. Nas, but they're... And you would say, oh my gosh, probably all over the map. No, they're within 1% of each other. So someone who experiences neglect in their marriage is just as traumatized as someone who experiences infidelity or sexual addiction. It's real trauma. I mean, talking PTSD, depression. I mean, the, the scales on PTSD, most of the symptoms of PTSD are in the 80 to 90 percentile that these women, this was a woman's study, experience who've been betrayed either by neglect pornography or by a real person. And sometimes in the process of discovery, the person, the kind of like the person who experienced the betrayal can discover things that can be very painful to discover, right? I know at times, even when people asking their partner about the details of sexual encounters, I tell them kind of like cautious them against that, like, because if you want to know about that or not. I say, how long do you want to remember that? Mm-hmm. Because if he says, I took her to the Hilton Hotel, you'll never go into Hilton Hotel the rest of your life. And every time you pass the Hilton Hotel, you'll get triggered. So how many do you want in your future? And how hard do you want this to be to recover? Because that's some, you know, you need, you do need to, you do need to know the basics. It started here. It ended here. It involved X amount of people and women have intuition. That's not always right, but it's about 90% right based on my like thousand polygraphs where they think that they've had sex with their best friend or their neighbor or sister or something like that. And they need to clarify that. But it's not, it's really dangerous if they start, well, what was she wearing? Mm-hmm. She'll never wear that color again. Or every time she sees that color, she gets triggered. You know, if she knows what she looks like, if she's a blonde, every time she sees a blonde, right? Now, I mean, some of these ladies, of course, they go research, they go on Facebook, they try to find out this woman, and then they compare themselves. And no two women are 
No two women's beauty is alike. All women are beautiful, but no two women's beauty is alike. So they look at the differences and the variances in their beauty, and they usually end up comparing that that woman's strength to her weakness. And it, 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 can, it can end it like, you, you know, it can end to like where they obsess about it. And that's really not the way to heal. Absolutely. I had clients that talk about different sexual position the partner had with the other person and that kills sex for them. And you want to be intentional with your kind of setting boundary with yourself to kind of see if this information is absolutely necessary for, for me to know moving forward, or as you mentioned, that it's going to create more chaos and pain and hurt. So I think that's really important for people to resist that urge of gathering information that's not necessarily useful. And early on, when people learn about the betrayal, they, there's a period of time that people kind of like explore, should I leave the relationship or should I stay? What are some of the suggestions that you have for people when they're in that stage? How can they assess it? Well, we have a, a whole DVD called Why Do I Stay? Because men and women specifically, they're not always staying because of the husband, okay? Whether he cheats or doesn't cheat. And that's a hard thing to understand because they're staying for, you know, financial security. They want to keep their family together. Their mom and dad were divorced. They have other motives as to why they stay that have absolutely nothing to do with him. So there's that variable. and then. Now, when you're considering whether to stay or not, I think the disposition of the offender is really important. You know, do they know why they cheated? Do, does the offender know why? Because they don't know why they're going to repeat. Does, does the offender have a system in place to protect himself and, or herself and the marriage? If so, what is it? It should be able to be in writing. Are they willing to take a polygraph to be able to be known that they're not contacting that person or grooming another person? Because sometimes finding out about the first one is only the tip of the iceberg. And you really want to go through trauma again and again and again. Like, okay, suppose the guy had 15 affairs, he got caught in one. She knows about one. Now, over the next five or 10 years, she's going to find out about the other ones. That's just life, okay? And so it's better, that's why we do polygraphs, to find out there's 15 now, deal with the 15 and make sure that you have a safety net of the polygraph to help to validate that he is protecting you, okay? If he's willing to do that, that's a different person than, you know what, get over it. You know, it happened in the past, that was the past, that person... It's going to be harder to build a marriage on because a marriage or a long-term relationship is based on trust. And once the trust has been, it's been ravaged by infidelity, it has to be rebuilt by the offender as well as then re-given by the person who was hurt. Okay. And in that order. I love that you're talking about polygraph. I haven't used it in my practice or I don't know other colleagues that they're using it. In forensic setting, I hear that sometimes they're not accurate. So tell us, how do you use it with your clients? Well, they're, they're, they're very accurate. They can't be put in court. You can't be sentenced by a polygraph. But I've done close to a thousand polygraphs over my career. Easy. And the way we use it, we, so we call it a therapeutic polygraph. You know, we're not, we're not doing criminal behavior like kids and things that are illegal. We're doing things of, okay, since married, I've had sex with, you know, how many people, hand or vaginal, right? And then started when, into when, okay? If it's masturbation and porn, we go down those roads. Because what it does is it allows two things to happen. Dr. Nas, number one is the offender now has a way to resurrect the reputation, okay? There is no other way to do that. Even if he or she is a perfectly good person for the next five years, I've had spouses pound their offending spouse for years and years and years. They've been the best person ever. And that's unnecessary. And a polygraph would have prevented that, okay? So, but the offender now knows that they don't live in the world where they make up all the rules. So when there is an opportunity 
opportunity without secrecy is not really an opportunity, okay? Like if you know you're going to go to 7-Eleven, rob it, but you're going to get shot, you're probably less likely to go in. And I can tell you, I've worked with thousands of men, okay? And they've said the polygraph really helped them in the beginning because they knew that if they called that woman, their life was over, okay? Now, what it does for the, the spouse is it gives them an opportunity to begin to heal and which they need to do anyway, okay? That's why it's not always good to leave like the, the next day. You might want to do some healing before you leave. Prepare yourself if you're going to do that. But it gives them enough time to say, okay, you know, I'll give you 30, 60, 90 days. And if I see that you're doing recovery, you're in groups, you're in counseling or whatever the process is they've agreed upon, then, and you take another polygraph, if you're clean in 60 days or 90 days, then I will give you another 60 or 90 days. That way, the spouse doesn't have to be all in for the rest of her or his life, okay? I can be in quarter at a time. If you show up, fantastic, okay? And if you don't show up, it was nice knowing you, right? And so it gives that safety net for the woman or the man to heal and say, you know what, I'm going to give you some grace. We've got 15, 20 years together. We got kids. You know, we have all this, this business we built or whatever we built together. And I'm willing to give you a shot at this. But if you're not willing to be measured, then it's not a shot at all. You're just basically saying, shut up, close your eyes and let me do what I want to do. Well, that attitude is what got us where we are. And I work with so many people that they were the quote unquote offenders. And they, I know in therapy, they've been going above and beyond to restore trust. But because there is no, the partner felt there was no objective way of assessing that. Like there's always a kind of part of them that they feel like, you know, okay, I don't know what's happening. So you, your experience with polygraphists are accurate enough so you can use as a tool. Women, women and men, because we have both, I got to keep saying that, they trust that more than they trust their spouse. Mm-hmm. Again, if you're going to use it, you know, get to know your polygrapher, make sure they're credible because some of them are kind of, you know, shady, whatever. But, you know, we have very credible ones we've been using for, I'm the person who introduced polygraphs into therapy. Mm-hmm. And so I've got lots of experience with that. And instantly the gorilla goes off the woman's back or the man's back. Okay, now I know the truth. If I know the truth, I can heal. I mean, you're a woman, you know, if you don't know the truth, that little intuition thing you got going on, it's going to gnaw and gnaw and gnaw and gnaw at you until you do. Well, if you know the truth in one session, like when they fly in for intensive, so Monday we do the polygon. Mm-hmm. Like she can actually heal. Because otherwise she'd be thinking about what she doesn't know the whole week. Mm-hmm. And once she knows that it really was three people, it was three years ago, and it works both ways. Sometimes I've had guys come in, they've been clean for five years from everything, masturbation, porn, strippers, prostitutes, everything. They've been clean for five years and their wife has been literally on them every day about their infidelity for five years. Okay. And when the woman finds out that he really has been clean for five years, she's able to pause because all that energy trying to protect the relationship, she doesn't need to do that anymore because he's protecting the relationship. I know you were talking about the trauma being similar to PTSD and you're right with trauma, it comes this hyper feeling of hypervigilant. But I think if, if you have the reassurance in a way that what happened is in the past and the commitment right now, that can help people with kind of like, as you said, ease into the process and being more future focused, at least for, for some people about kind of like the people that they don't look. So I hear that there's sometimes people want to know everything about their partner. So they want to have all the passwords, everything like they have GPS on the partner. I know it works for some people and it's long term. I don't think that's help, healthy for the relationship. But tell me more about your perspective on that. Well, I think for the, my experience with, let's talk about women for a minute. The closer they are on the OCD scale, the more likely that's going to happen. Okay. And you're not going to win that one as a therapist. Okay. You say, okay, can we negotiate this? 
60 days, 90 days, and then we stop doing this one, this one. But this again is where the pod gap comes in. It's like, you, you don't need to do all that. I can ask a question and it will cover all of what you're doing. And you don't need to spend your energy going through his cell phone and, you know, checking his, all his social media, which of course, depending on what he's done, he shouldn't even have it, but you don't have to go through and check all that because we can catch it with the polygraph because all of your research is not going to show up him just picking somebody up at a grocery store. You don't need to go to a strip club to find someone. So it's not going to really serve you as well as a polygraph. And they, they, most women are like, okay, good. Cause I don't, I don't want to be his mommy. I don't want to be his cop. I don't want to be that because it's making me bitter, angry, frustrated, and I'm losing energy with my kids. I'm not as good of a mom if I'm over here trying to, you know, surveil him all the time. Now, you know, some of them want the, the guy to have a little, the phone thing where they know where he is. Okay. We can do that for a while. That's, that's reasonable. Okay. There is a time where it's like, you know what? He's been clean for two years. We really got to start trusting him by just trusting him. I agree with you. I think like it's helpful for couples to early on, maybe have some arrangement of building trust. As you said, it could be polygraph, could be like having access to his information. But I find that long term is like one year or two years. If, if you feel, first of all, the urge to check, that's not a good sign because the trust hasn't been rebuilt. And also, as you said, it's there is an element of uncertainty, right? Even if you have GPS on people's car and all sorts of things, people can have, be very creative about getting their needs met. Oh, totally. And so it's it's so there's there's what the offender can do, but at some point, there's also what the spouse needs to do as far as giving trust. Once there's some level of information that says he's, he or she is trustworthy, to give it back. Mm-hmm. And to treat them like adults, because if you stay in a, in a position where you're superior to them long term, that could become a problem that ends the relationship. For sure. It can also de-eroticize the relationship, like turn it to the parent-child dynamic. And you want to kind of be long term, hopefully lover to lover kind of an interaction wise. So which can be definitely achievable, but it's it's going to be a journey. Based on your experience, how long it takes for people to recover from a betrayal? I know it's such a trick question, right? If it's a one-time thing or complex trauma, but what have you been observed? Well, again, if a woman is going to try to do healing and recovery all by herself, it's going to take years because she doesn't have the right information. She doesn't have the, the grief, the anger work, the trauma work she's going to need to do because you don't get that in high school. Okay. So if they, if she's seeing a professional or she's, we have a part of material trauma groups. You have a whole workbook on part of material trauma. It's like a hundred exercises plus. We have a 12 step workbook on part of material trauma. Okay. There's stuff that they can do to actually accelerate their own healing. So it can take, it can be months. It can be less than a year. I would say around a year mark is generally when most women and men start really making the turnaround, going back to their normal life, dropping the weight or gaining the weight. You know, however they respond, you know, getting their life back to normal. Okay. Usually around the year mark is about what I see. Okay. So they, but I really do tell partners, lower your load to about 70%. You know, if you're volunteering at the PTA and you're doing stuff like that, I want you off those boards. I want you just to give yourself some time to work out, to get your nutrition down, to make sure that you're doing well for yourself. Self-care is a really important part of part of child trauma. And generally speaking, uh, Americans aren't really good at self-care. Okay. <laughs> We're better at self-abandonment. We work really hard. We do, right? We entertain three o'clock in the morning, stuff like that. So her her or his self-care is really important part and also managing not taking on new things, not taking on new things. 
I love that kind of like focusing on taking care of yourself. So you'll be stronger. I think the relationship will be stronger. And I think it also provides this opportunity for people to really examine what happened. Because as you mentioned, knowing what happened, what was the vulnerability? I think that's really important because I think sometimes people live in this fear of we don't know what exactly led to it. Therefore, we don't know how, what to prevent it. But I agree with you if people are in therapy, working on themselves and also outside therapy, kind of like overall working on their health, it can be, this can be a really kind of quicker process, but absolutely it takes a while, as you mentioned. Sometimes I see a lot of couple, even in the counseling, they get stuck into the loop of anger, like anger, anger, anger. The partner takes accountability, but they're angry, which is understandable. And we get to have our emotion, but even after several months, how can the person shift from the place of anger to place of healing? And I know it's definitely a process, but I'm, I'm curious, what have you observed in those couples? No, I'm going to give you something that anyone can do. But let me, before I do that, understand that they've been physiologically traumatized. I mean, we have in our, in our office, we have a neuro stabilizer kind of thing. And so they do this, it takes five days and you can literally see the brain go from out of control, left or right side to centered. Okay. So their brain has actually been traumatized. So some of them are actually stuck neurologically. Also remember that the hormone levels, their cortisol levels, their thyroid have all been impacted. Okay. And so they're somewhat physiologically a mess. All right. Okay. So we give them grace on that. And then in, in our, in our practice, and we've been doing this for years, it's in the partner's recovery guide, which is anger work. Okay. Because trauma affects you, spirit, soul, and body. You don't get away with where trauma affects you, okay? You've been traumatized socially, financially, your past, your present, and your future, okay? Because now your past is unclear, your future is un unknown, right? So all of you have been interacted, your, your family relationships. Do I tell my mom and dad? Do I not tell them, right? So all of these things, as a woman and as a man, you, you are interconnected. And so we have them do anger work, okay? Because the anger is stored in the body. The trauma is keeping the score, okay? And so they write an anger letter to not only their husband, but if any, if they've been raped or other other relationships or ex-husbands or whatever. And so they do the do the the offender separately. They write an anger letter to them, and this is usually pages. And I say, don't don't spiritualize it. Don't be nice. Don't watch your language. We're gonna rip it up when we're done. And we do this in my office. This is usually Monday or Tuesday at the latest. And so they write the anger letter. Then they warm up. I have a you know a block, an anger block, and that. They warm up, small, medium, large, extra large. They kind of warm up. And then they read the letter out loud and then they go totally ballistic, yelling and screaming and letting that rage out. It's really healing. Been doing that for over 35 years. Then that had one woman or man not feel better after doing that. Now they're able to go to the grief process. Now they're able to move out of anger and go into bargaining and go into sadness. You know what I'm saying? And they're not stuck in that as a therapist. It's like, we, why can't we get past this? Okay. But when they physically release it, now they're able that they have a, they have a marker inside of their life that says, Hey, I did that. Let's move on. I love that. I love rituals. Rituals are very powerful and when we're doing things. Do they do that in front of the partner or it's only no, a therapist? No. I usually walk out of the room. <laughs> I give them the, they read the letter out loud. <laughs> I walk out and I <laughs> said, when you're done, open my door. Mm -hmm. They go yell and scream and they have a great time. Sometimes it's five minutes, sometimes it's 25 minutes. Sometimes they're all sweaty. Sometimes it's, they're only three minutes, but they did it so well that they feel good, you know, because they don't do that, right? And there's no place in our culture where you can really like really go off on somebody in a safe way. 
And they do. And then you can do some gestalt work on forgiveness and show them how to do that with themselves so they can have a, a way once a month to check with themselves how they're doing with the other person without involving the other person. Because the other person, you know, if they are an addict, they're going to be immature. If they're, and then if they're committing adultery, they're probably immature. So they're probably not going to get to that real deep broken place right away. Mm-hmm. But I like the idea of giving people space to feel the emotion, the anger, the frustration, because I think it's sometimes it can trigger the other losses we had in our lives, right? Like we experience early betrayal and that's why we're just so, we are in so much pain when we receive the news of our partner's betrayal. Right. And oftentimes, I mean, when I'm talking about thousands of women, I'm talking about 5,000 women, you know, they get into the, 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 we start, we do the assessment on them and we find out that they have been raped or they had an abortion or they have been cheated on with other boyfriends or husbands or whatever. And they can heal from all of that. Mm-hmm. They can actually come out of the partner betrayal trauma process healthier because they dealt with the stuff that they've been hiding. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so they're no longer ashamed. They're no longer have low self-esteem or worthless issues. Okay. So now they're like wanting to have boundaries and be safe and be protected and willing to use their voice again inside the relationship where they might not have been using it prior. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. Kind of like giving people the opportunity to, to repair the previous grief and pain and trauma, I think can be very, very powerful. And you can kind of like even kind of in a, in a way redefine the relationship. So for for people that they had some history of kind of infertility in the past, maybe they haven't discovered it right now, but this it still impacts their relationship. What activities do you recommend them to do to rebuild trust in the relationship? Well, they have two things. The trust is kind of a factual thing. They have to rebuild it, whether the person is doing or not doing a certain set of things. But the intimacy has to be restored. And a lot of times in situations where there's been infidelity or porn addiction or, or that kind of stuff, and if there's intimacy and erection, it's a whole other thing they got to deal with because the the being too busy, blaming, withholding love, withholding praise, withholding sex, they need to get a whole process of healing intimacy and erection if it's a part of it. But so there's the trust thing, but there's also the intimacy where I have couples. And again, when we're dealing with a situation like this, we have kind of a triune perspective. We're dealing with the offender, the spouse, and the marriage all at the same time. So the marriage has some disciplines it needs to have intimacy. Because intimacy is a result of a set of disciplines. It's not magic. You don't get it because you're cute. You have to work for it just like everybody else, right? And so they do two feelings a day. And then oftentimes the person who's an offender is emotionally illiterate because they were medicating their emotional pain by having an affair. You know, I have a really strong feeling. So either from my past or present, I don't know how to deal with it. So here's boo-boo mommy or boo-boo daddy. And I use them to medicate my feelings, which is immaturity, right? Instead of just saying, I'm in pain. And I can tell you what my pain is. It feels like this right? They couldn't do that. So we emotionally get them developed. So they're doing two feelings a day. I feel blank when, I first remember feeling blank when. So in 90 days, they have their emotional vocabulary. Two praises a day where they give compliments to each other. I really love, like, or appreciate this about you. You say, thank you. We do this. And then they have some kind of spiritually, the meditation or prayer or reading, depending on their faith system, right? And this builds that intimacy back where we become friends and lovers again. Because when you're lovers, you protect lovers, you protect your lover. Okay. And really get out of that function of husband-wife thing and get into back to being lovers. I have a whole book called Lover-Spouse, okay? Because we need to stay in that lane if we're going to make it the longest term. I think it's fantastic to kind of have the practices that you mentioned, right? Even for couples that they don't have issues with 
betrayal, right? Because it helps. I tell people like the relationship is like a bank account. Like you have to deposit things in the bank account. And if you're kind of like giving your partner, kind of sharing with them what you appreciate, talking about, let them know about your internal world, that can kind of be a deposit in the relationship. So I think that's, that is very powerful. It has to be a discipline, okay? And in Western culture, we are lazy relationally, okay? It takes about 15 minutes a day because disciplines guarantee outcomes. And if you don't have a discipline of intimacy, I don't care whose book you use, whatever. If you don't have a, a consistent thing you're doing, creating intimacy, it's going to, it's going to wane. And they go to therapy and say, yeah, deposit your relationship. Well, well, they don't know how to deposit their relationship. Oftentimes they have to be taught. So I put them in two chairs, face each other, say, okay, we're going to do these three things. And they go, how do you feel? They're usually crying. Like, oh my gosh, I feel so close. Great. By Friday, I mean, they really like each other again because the discipline has a known effect. You know what I'm saying? So when you have, a, if you don't have disciplines of intimacy, you're actually setting your relationship up for vulnerability. I agree with you. And I think it's helpful to kind of be kind of putting it as part of like your daily ritual with your partner, because you're right that people have this understanding or expectation that like you don't have to work on your relationship. A good relationship is the one that you don't need to work on it, but it's more about kind of intentionality that you're bringing in. Well, any, anything you give value to, you give intentionality to, right? And so if you're, if you really want to go long term, you really have to give it intentionality on a day to day basis. If I'm a bodybuilder. And so if I want to look like a bodybuilder, I have to do things intentionally, right? When I go on stage, I can't look like I've been eating, you know, cupcakes, right? So your, your disciplines create outcomes. All right. If you really want to have this very strong, vibrant, like, Hey, I want you relationship, you got to build that emotional intimacy on some kind of basis because there's kids and bills and and people that don't like you and people who do like you want things from you. And there's life, right? There's your dog. I mean, all this stuff. And if they're all like falling down the list of management, well, then you're no longer a lover, your husband, wife, and your functionship. You're not relationship. You need to keep in that relationship. You know, because when, when these men and women go into a parish, they have disciplines. They text back and forth. They talk together. They touch each other. They have disciplines and that's what creates the intimacy, which creates the affair. It's very interesting. I was like smiling because I, I read this study that they were talking about the relationship that gave developed through email, through writing. It was kind of a, the kind of like a, the cheating piece. Like they felt that the emotional connection was stronger, but that makes sense because you're typing, talking about what you're feeling. And that goes with kind of like adding more of kind of level of emotional intimacy, which can make things Exciting. I know that you have a lot of great programs and you have different books. So if our listeners that they learn a lot today, but they want to kind of like continue learning from you, where can they get a hold of you? They can go to drdougweiss.com or they can call Heart to Heart Counseling Center at 719-278-3708. You know, we have lots of books, materials, Facebook groups. We have actually Facebook groups for women who've been betrayed and stuff like that. There's a lot of resources if they go on our webpage for men and women to get help from betrayal because men feel betrayal too. I've certainly seen that in my practice as well. And having a community and a therapist that can help you, that's very, very helpful. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Doug. This was very helpful and hopefully we'll have you back in our show in future. That'd be great. Thank you, Dr. Nas. Keep up the great work. Thank you for joining us today on the Sexology Podcast. As we conclude this deep dive into the aftermath of affairs, it's vital to acknowledge that, yes, betrayal indeed shakes our trust in our partners. 
But what many don't immediately realize is how profoundly it can shake trust in oneself. Our intuition, once a dependable compass, might suddenly feel unreliable. It's natural to question your judgment, to feel vulnerable or naive. As we navigate the turbulence of infidelity, it's essential to remember rebuilding trust starts with valuing and caring for oneself. My invitation for you is reflect on your patterns. Are there recurring themes in the partner you choose? It's worth noting that our understanding of love is often rooted in childhood. And sometimes we can misconstrue toxic behaviors as love. Stay strong, prioritize self-love, and always remember, healing is a journey, not a destination. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.